Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. A four-week series called Hashtag Struggles. Don't forget the hashtag. And what we're going to look at over the Christmas season, uh, this next four weeks, are four major struggles we all have in this generation, especially due to social media. Now you may say, <laughs> I don't use social media. I'm way beyond that, Kevin. I am of the old school, so it doesn't affect me. This whole generation, when I say generation, I don't mean young people. I mean from, from the moment that they can touch an iPad or, or get on social media or they can talk to the moment that they can't use computers anymore because they're too old, right? I mean, all of us are affected by social media. Our gener- this generation communicates differently. We have different struggles. And you can see it whether you're 8 or 80 years old. And today we're going to look at the struggle of discontentment. And how key is that during Christmas? Because it's during Christmas season you're all discontent. Because you want the new thing that's coming out or the new curved TV. Which some of you got the, 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 the uh, plasma 8 years ago. Now you need the curved now, right? And so Christmas season and helps us really look at discontentment. I remember as a kid, and I I shared this in our Death of Selfie series, that I was so discontent as a child, and not really with stuff, I would would say, because we didn't have a lot of stuff. But I was discontent with who I was. I'm I'm short, if you don't know. That's why I don't step down there. If I step down there, you can't see me. And my mom told me that first time I preached. She said, son, if you go downstairs, I can't see you. And um, that's one thing I remember from her. And so um, I, I was always short. I was very overweight as a kid, but I played sports. Um, when I grew up, my teeth didn't come in right. I, didn't, I never had braces. The Lord was gracious. But they were really, really big and awkward. And so in fifth grade, I didn't get invited to any of the little reindeer games, any little dances or things that, that they all did. I didn't get invited to the movies. You know, they all gathered at the movies and things like that and just hung out. Um, I didn't get invited to any of that. And I was really kind of just discontented with who I was. And I asked my mom. I went home and said, Mom... Can I change my name? She's like, I guess you can if you'd like to. I mean, why would you want to change your name? I was like, and I began to talk about a friend in school. And this friend got invited to all the parties, all the little you know, movie parties. What did we do at fifth grade? It's not big parties. Um, all the little dances. He was good at sports. He was slender, had the right hair. And I was like, I want to be him. She said, honey, why do you want to be him for? So I said, because I don't like me. I'm discontent with who I am. I want to be someone else. Now, I want to tell you, my mom talked to me. It was all better, but it, it, it wasn't. She did talk to me. I got past it. I didn't change my name. My name is the original name from whence I was born. So my name is Kevin, and uh, it's still Kevin today. Uh, but my mom helped me understand discontentment, and she gave me some insights into that. And I want to help you with discontentment today, because in this generation, I believe that we have never before have, have people had so much, but want so much more. Never has there been a generation, and everybody who's elderly said amen, that we've had so much, but want so much more than what we have. I want to share with you a scripture. If you've been at Thrive uh, more than than, than, uh, three weeks, you've probably heard this scripture before. I want you to look at Philippians 4.12 and 4.13, and Paul speaks about contentment. If you've been here, you're smirking because, because you know where I'm going with this. Perfect scripture. The most overused and misused quoted scripture in all of, in all of, of all of history. Amen. I promise you. Most misused ever in history. And when people misuse it, I'm just like, it's not like heretical. So it's not like, somebody, so if your friend does this on Monday, just say amen. 
But the Apostle Paul is writing from a jail cell in the first century. Not like a jail we have now, but imagine a dungeon. He was in chains most of the time. Um, he couldn't use the, didn't have a proper bathroom. So in those Roman prisons, he would use the bathroom on the floor. So he's just kind of in there. But they would allow him, because he was a, a citizen, to go and he would be able to write. And so he wrote this letter from a jail cell. Now you've got to realize this. Paul was, before he became a Christian, the top Jewish religious leader under Gamaliel. He was set to be the top of the top. And if you want to study this in history, it's all historical. Study Josephus. Um, You can look at the history that Paul would have been the top echelon of the Jewish religious leaders. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Ready, next in line to take over. He becomes a, a Christ follower, and now he's thrown into a prison where he's treated like an animal. And in this prison, he writes a letter to a small church in Philippi um, that, that wasn't far from him that he actually helped start. And he writes this letter to them, and, and when he writes it, he's telling them that, look, here's the deal. You're facing persecution. You're losing your jobs because you're Christ followers. People are coming against you. You're losing relationships. But I understand what you're going through. And watch what Paul says to him here. This is amazing with the context. He says, For I know what it is to be in need, because he's in need then, and I know what it is to have plenty, because he was one of the top leaders ever in Jewish religious history. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Don't miss this. Whether well-fed or hungry, if he was in the South, he would have said that. Whether living in plenty or in want. Now look at verse 13 because you cannot divorce divorce, uh, verse 13 from verse 12. He says, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. What can he do through Christ? Learn to be content with little or be content with a lot, right? right. Now, now, because we take that scripture and we say, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Let me tell you, that's not true. You look at me like, you're trying to tear my faith apart. No, no, just listen. Trust me. Just listen. Let's put a 10-foot basketball goal up and I get no help. And I guarantee I can pray and fast and and, and quote this scripture for hours. But guess what? I will never dunk a 10-foot basketball goal, will I? Is it possible? Will Jesus lift me up to dunk the basketball goal? But Jesus can help me be content with just shooting three-pointers, right? (laughs) See, it's the same thing in life is that through Christ's strength, we can be content with whatever we have. That's one of the promises of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that that you shouldn't quote, I can do all things in Christ, you're going through a tough time. But really, the context of the Scripture is, I can be content in all things no matter what I'm going through. That's the context there that we see the Scripture from. And if we'll be honest today... We try to find contentment through people's approval, through people's attention, and through social media, if you're on social media. But let me tell you, Christ fills a void that no person can fill. You know what's the scariest thing when somebody gets married? When it's like, they complete me. Like, no, don't say, oh no, it's not going to be good. Because that person you're married to is going to ultimately just fail you. They're going to leave dirty underwear for the thousandth time on the floor, and you're going to be mad at them. If my wife was here today, she's working, she's not. You're going to leave the front door unlocked, Kevin, many times. And she will be upset with you. And you've got the, I am so sorry. (laughs) Only Christ can complete you. And until you know Christ is all you need, 
then you'll never know that, that, that until you know Christ is all you have, you'll never know he's all you need. And many times we are searching and hunting for people to give us only what Jesus can give us. And we do that so many times, again, through social media. So, so look at today's big ideas. We destroy dissatisfaction by cultivating contentment. We destroy dissatisfaction by cultivating contentment. Now let me say this up front. For you that are like, yeah, social media, I'm not, I'm not. It's a great tool. Because some of you are like, because think about it. Cars kill more people than social media. Are cars bad? No, because you drove your dinner car. None of you rode a, a horse or a donkey to church. Right? So it's not that social media is bad. It's not that social media is not good. But it affects us and how we live and how we operate in this generation. And one of the things it affects is, is discontentment. Uh, there was a research done uh, at a major university. And they took students. They took a handful of students and put them one hour just on Facebook scrolling and liking. And just the whole time you couldn't get off of it. The other group didn't get on it at all. When they did a psychological survey, here's what they found. The emotion that most people had that were in that group that were on social media for an hour had the emotion of envy and jealousy. Where does that come from? Discontentment. I mean, think about it. You're scrolling and you see somebody's perfect brownies on their perfect kitchen counter with the perfect backsplash. And you're like, my brownies look terrible. My backsplash looks terrible. I only have one. <laughs> and my countertops aren't like HGTV. And you start thinking, oh, well, I wish I had that. It must be nice, right? Let's be honest. Uh, maybe it's that you're looking through somebody that just went shoe shopping. They laid all their shoes. They're like, oh, I wish I had one good pair of shoes. They've got 50. And so we find discontentment with material or even, even financial situations. We harbor discontentment with that. Uh, maybe it's relational. You see everybody's gathered together and they're all out eating somewhere and you weren't invited. And you're just like, well, I wasn't invited to that. I just those two said I wasn't invited to that. <laughs> I never get invited to go out and do those things. And what? Discontentment. I wish that I had. Uh, maybe it's this. Maybe you're single in here and you're looking and you see that perfect selfie of the, of, of, of the couple. And they're just smiling and they're teeth are grinning. I mean, they're, they're glowing. And your single's like, oh my God. If I was married, I'd be as happy as they are. But you don't see what happens behind the scenes, do you? You don't see what happens behind the scenes. Or maybe you're married and you look at another couple that have always has the great selfies and they're always like posting on each, other, each other's wall about I love you. Let me just say, I don't understand that. Because like, if, they're, if you live with them, why don't you just tell them? I love you, so you're great. I was like, well, I, I just tell my wife I care out to dinner. I don't, I mean, the, the, the posting thing. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe just tell me. If it helps, please help me because I'll do it. But I never understand it. So, so you're looking at that married couple. You're like, they got it all together. Our marriage stinks. When really the truth of the matter is they probably don't. Again, like I said last month, you're looking at their highlight reel versus your behind the scenes. And so it creates discontentment in our lives so many times. Or maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe there's a circumstance where you have a disability or you're going through a situation and it looks like everybody else's life is great. Maybe, you're, you know, again, you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe, you know, a situation where you can't have children yet. And you look at all these people with kids, and you're like, and you just get discontent and depressed. 
See, it happens to all of us when we look at other folks' lives, and especially when it comes to social media. But let me say this to you. Here's what life is. Life is merely 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. Life is 10% what happens to you, listen to me, and 90% how you respond. It's not 90% what happens to you and 10% how you respond. It's how you respond to everything that you see, how you respond to everything that you have. And today, if we're to take inventory, we have so much more to be grateful for than ungrateful for. We are blessed with so much in our life. But it seems like in this generation, we're taught to look at what we don't have. And while others have more than we do. And let me tell you, if you go to a third world country and you visit them, especially believers, Christ followers in other countries, they're worshiping in dirt huts and are happy. They don't have curved TVs, they don't have flat screens, and they're happy. See, the key is not getting more stuff. And so if you've got a teenager in here, you know, say, yes, right, Christmas is not about getting more stuff. <laughs> See, Jesus can fill a void in your heart. Christ can do in your heart what nothing else can do for you. Because stuff, listen, the TV you got 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is it even relevant? The phone that you had 15 years ago, some of you still have it. And thank God for flip phones. I'm thinking about going back to one. Um, it's not even relevant anymore. And the thing that you wanted so bad becomes irrelevant. I had a chance to get one of those new iPhones. And the lady was like, why do I need it? Well, more storage. I was like, I'll just delete stuff. <laughs> well, it takes better videos. I don't, I don't care. I'm not, a, I'm not a filmographer or whatever. I don't do that. I mean, I just, I mean, I need to, I need to work. Can it do anything this phone doesn't do? Not, not really. Like, as far as email and social media and writing notes. It can't. That's all I need. Then I, I don't need a new one. I went and got a new case for $5 and I felt so good. I'm like, give me a new case, baby. I'm keeping going with it until it becomes, you know, totally irrelevant. I, 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 that's a big win for me because I always wanted the new phone and the new gadget, the new thing. And my wife's got, the, she got the new phone. And it's like as big as my iPad, man. It's like, you know, and see, last year the guy's like, if you wait another month, you can get the real. I, said, I don't care. Can I, can I type and preach from it? Yeah. Okay. That's all I need. <laughs> Discontentment will happen to us when we're not grateful. And we destroy discontentment by cultivating gratitude. Let's look at what we can do. Two applications of contentment. Through Christ's strength. Through Christ's strength. Here's what we can do. As Paul said, I can do this through Christ's strength. Is we kill comparisons. We kill comparisons. Write in your notes, comparisons. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, and this is again the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. So he's saying, don't compare yourselves with others, that's first. But look what he says, he even goes on to say even more than that. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Here's what was happening in the church at Corinth, if you read earlier, is that you had Paul who's planting churches, you had Peter, you know, you know, you know Peter, and he was doing the ministry thing, and then you had um, Apollos, who was this young, upcoming ministry, you find out in the book of Acts, and people were like, yeah, I follow Apollos. Oh, I follow Paul, man. No, 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 I follow Peter. And they were comparing each other that, comparing the churches, comparing, and Paul says, it's not wise to compare yourselves. It's not even wise to compare yourself with yourself. Right? 
I'm so much better than I used to be. But there's going to be days you're worse than you were before. And there's days you're going to be better. And it's, you're going to be a schizophrenic if you keep doing that back and forth. See, Andy Stanley said this. He says, no one wins in comparisons. No one wins in comparisons. No one wins in comparisons. When we begin to compare ourselves to ourselves or compare ourselves to other people. And that's what makes us discontent, right? What they have versus what we have. I was sitting with a group of pastors and for 16 months I went through a network with several pastors and some of them are local in the area. And we went through, um, you know, different, you know, just modules and things like that. But we would always sit down and talk about what are you going through? What are you facing? And we all went into this thing with discontentment in our hearts, okay? So, like, there was one church at 80. There was one church at 120. There was one church at 180. One church at three or 400. And then the other church at, you know, eight or 900. Every pastor was at different levels, right? She went from 80 to, like, 800. That's a big jump, isn't it? Huge difference. And we were all like trying to figure out what's the dude at 800 doing. Right? Oh, I bet it's great, man. I bet it's awesome. Fast growing church. I mean, things are amazing. And we began to talk to each other because we were all like, you know. And what we realized was the guy at 80 and the guy at 800 all had the same issues. Here's the problem with the guy at 800. He said, you know what? I wish some days I had a church the size of you guys. Because I have more people that are, that are criticizing me and telling me this and telling me that. He said, I just want to enjoy it. He said, I just want to be content. And I'm going to tell you, fastest growing church. Things are going great as far as that's concerned. He says, but I'm just not content. And we all sat down and leveled the playing field and realized, and from that point forward, it's like that we just broke, it was a great network for 16 months because we weren't comparing ourselves anymore. We weren't looking at each other and saying, well, your numbers and this and that, blah, blah, blah. how many are you running? How much money are you getting in? We, we realized that we were all going through the same thing. We killed comparisons and we stopped envying each other. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in the first century to believers. He said this in James 3.14. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Envy and selfish ambition. Envy, I want what they have, and then selfish ambitions, I want it my way. I don't care what's best for the group, I want it my way. When you find those two ideas coming up, those two, those two attitudes coming up, you will always see every good environment destroyed every time that you see that. See, one of the Ten Commandments is this. It's thou shalt not covet, right? You shall covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet. See, the commandments were given to us just to make us stop doing things. There were promises for freedom. What's the opposite of coveting? It's being content. It's being content. When you're content with what you have, you don't care what they have. Because let me tell you something. Somebody's going to always get a better car than you. Right? So we're like, yeah, I definitely did. They all got better cars than me, right? Somebody's going to always have a bigger and better house than you have. Somebody's going to always make more money than you do. And if you're not content, you'll covet. 
And if you begin to covet, you become discontent with your life and you'll begin to pursue things for wrong ideas or wrong motives. See, for some of you, what you're going to need to do is this. You need to stay out of the catalogs, women. <laughs> you're like, I don't have catalogs. I shop online. Well, just stay off online shopping. <laughs> You've saved and you've, listen, I've watched my wife. There's a wish list that mile, that, that long. You keep saving stuff. There. You, have, you have all your stores online that you keep saving to, right? Some of the catalogs can be thrown away. You may need to stop watching HDTV. Because they're going to keep getting better stuff in houses. You can keep wanting to upgrade your stuff all the time. For some of you, it's unplugging social media for a while. Because you keep looking at everybody else and what they're doing and what they have. And you feel like you don't have what they have and you're discontent. What triggers comparisons for you? Think about that. What triggers comparisons? Where is it that you're comparing yourself to somebody else? See, it's all relative. Think about it. But one of my good friends, two of my good friends, one's a Florida State fan and one's a Georgia fan. And they're both average in basketball but good in football. And they're always talking about this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and you know, Florida State usually beats us and everything. But I was talking to my friend one day. I said, I was looking at, at the recruiting roster. And Florida State had all five stars and four stars. My team, NC State, had two and three stars. And we beat them two out of three years. And then they stopped us a year after and he was talking trash. I said, yeah, but you know what? You guys are better. You guys are a much better team. You guys have all five stars. We've got all two and three stars. It's all relative. I'm not discontent with being them. I'm okay with with the team that I have, right? Because it's all relative. If you're the New York Yankees, you can buy all the players you want. If you're the Oakland A's, you've got to raise them up. Does that make sense? And you've got to look at what you have and realize it's all relative in life. Someone will always have something better than what you have. See, learn to celebrate the success of other people. Learn to celebrate when somebody else has something good happen to them. That's why, if, if you saw a couple weeks ago, I posted about other great churches in the area. Because Thrive is not the only church. There are so many awesome churches in Richmond. I would probably go and attend one of those if I wasn't pastoring. And I want to celebrate the success of my pastor friends because I'm not in competition with them. I believe that we're completing each other for the kingdom of God. Not competing, but completing. And when you learn to celebrate other people and the good things that happen for them, you'll find yourself more content with what you have. Be thankful for what you have. And here's the second point that leads into that. Through Christ's strength, we will also cultivate gratitude. Through Christ's strength, we will cultivate gratitude. Proverbs 15, 15 says this, and I love this verse. Solomon, who's considered one of the wisest men ever, the wisest from Bible times, says, For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Let me read more time. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Here's what Solomon's saying. You got Eeyores and you got Tiggers. Right? For the despondent, for the Eeyore, every day brings trouble. How you doing? I don't know. How's again? Jim, huh? You know Eeyore's... It's the same story, it's a different day. It's like, how you doing? Well, my toe still hurts. It's been nothing. And you're just like, okay. And then you got Tiggers. How they, that's great, man. Life's good. Could ask for any better. And see, Tiggers of the world, the secret for them is they're grateful, they're thankful. That's what makes them content is because they are thankful. Are you an Eeyore or are you a Tigger? See, here's what else King Solomon said. 
And I love this in Ecclesiastes 6 verse 9. He says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. That's the sermon right there. Solomon said it. We say it one more time. Enjoy, be grateful for what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. The next time you're tempted to say, I have a dumb car. Stop and say, I'm so thankful for this dumb car that doesn't start. <laughs> Next time you open your flip phone up and you can't read contacts in it and you're, oh, I wish I had a, you know, iPhone 8 <coughs> or whatever they have now. Stop and be like, man, I'm so thankful for this old flip phone that I can at least receive phone calls on, right? Be thankful for what you have. Thank God for the things that you have. Um, see, you can kill discontentment by cultivating gratitude. You can kill it. You can literally kill discontentment. And see, there is a good discontentment and a bad discontentment. You know, being discontent with where you're at in your relationship with God is a good thing. That you want more of God. You want to grow in the Lord. You want to have, you you want to read the scriptures and pray more. That's good. That's another sermon. But there's bad discontentment too. When you're discontent with everything around you. I'm going to tell you something, man. I have been there. Don't Don't you hear this? If you're in a place where you're continually discontent, you make life miserable for everybody around you. Because right. I've done it. All right. I've had that talk with my wife before. And she says, you just seem like you're never happy. And it's miserable being around you. What do you do to that? You pause and you say, God, help me be, be thankful for what I have. Because you can get so focused on the few negative things that are going on, or the things you don't like, or things that that you miss the big picture of what God's really doing in your life. Right. You can be so focused on, on the things that, 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 that you don't have, or the people that are knuckleheads, that you forget all the good things that are happening. It's, it's like duck hunting, okay? If you, and I've never duck hunted, but I, but I kind of read about it, so I think I know a little bit about it. But if, if you ever duck hunted here, raise your hand. You might duck hunted. Okay, we have three people. I see those hands. Amen. Um, if you've duck hunted, and you can agree with me in here, and you can say amen. And if you don't, then I'm wrong, and it's, it's a bad illustration, but I think it's be a good one. When you go duck hunting, hundreds of ducks come flying up, right? And you just, you should, and like four or five fall, and then the rest fly away. If you get 12 ducks on the duck hunt, that's pretty good. They're all saying, yeah. But you may have missed a hundred, right? Do you go around, well, I missed a hundred ducks today. I just, swim never. No, you're thankful. You're like, man, I got 12 ducks. I got 12. Yeah, a hundred got away, but I got 12. See, realize that in your life, you have things to be thankful for. You have things to be grateful for. And even in the worst circumstances of your life, if you'll pause and take an inventory of all that God's doing and all that you have and all that the Lord has blessed you with, it will kill discontentment. I'll I'll tell you a secret here as I close about bringing on a great staff members. The best staff members at a church are those who've been in bad church experiences. I'm not being real. Those who've been in terrible experiences. Now, most of our staff have. But one in particular is one that if you've been to the Richmond campus at all, you know Mark Thomas. Mark is the most thankful and grateful person ever. Rarely do you get staff or people saying thank you so much. Every time I see this dude, Pastor Kevin, man, 
thank you so much for the opportunity to serve me. Thank you so hugging me. I'm like, hey man, good to see you too. Good morning. You know, I'm just not a morning person. I'm not a very, you know, eh, yeah. but he's so thankful. He is so grateful. If you're ever around this guy, he's encouraging people. He's happy. I mean, you read his post on Facebook. You're like, oh man, that's great. Life's good. You know, he's always, always upbeat, but you realize that he came from, from a bad situation and understands what bad is. So he knows, now he knows what good is. And I think that the, the biggest issue that we face sometimes in this generation is, especially for those coming up, they've never had it bad. They don't know what good is. Sometimes you need to reflect on what you came out of, what God's brought you into, and cultivate gratitude. See, today, there's some of you in here, there's two types of people. There are some of you who are followers of Jesus, and like... And just like all of us in here, we get off track, we lose our calibration, and we start looking for things of the world to fill us. We're like, I'm just not happy, I'm just not this, I'm not that. We start blaming the church, we blame friends, we blame this, we blame that. And it's none of that. You know what it is? It's in your heart. Because you know, you're looking for things, addictions, relationships, people's approval and attention to fill you. You're not looking for Jesus. At the end of the day, you had to come to a point in your life spiritually where you say, Jesus, you're all I have and you're all that I will ever need. And when you get to that place, that's where true contentment comes. And then when the thing, I mean, I have things, man. Things are cool. But things don't fill me. Jesus fills me. So some of you today are like, you know what? I have been discontent. And I've made life miserable for people around me. Man, I just need the Lord to touch me today. And all you can do sometimes is say, God, help. Just help me. You know what the Lord does? He comes down and helps you. Others of you in here don't know Jesus at all. You come to church, you're kind of trying to figure things out. And you're looking, and, and you're going to realize that if you don't know Jesus, he's the only one that can fill that void in your heart. And the moment you raise your hand to receive Christ, you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he fills the void that no person and no thing can ever fill in your life. I want to I pray for those today who are believers in here. Pastor Keith's going to handle those who are not believers and give you a chance. But if today, if you will stand to your feet, and I want to just pray for you in here before our worship team leads us in a chance to worship the Lord and, and ask Him to help us. And if you're struggling in this place today and you're saying, Kevin, I just, man, I have, I've been discontent. As I said before, church, I've been there. I constantly, daily, am doing an inventory so I can realize the blessings I do have. If you're struggling today with that and you want prayer for discontentment, say, God, I want you to touch me. Just lift your hands. They can pray for me. Amen. Amen. Pray for you right where you're standing, guys. Right where you're standing. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we can do this through Christ who gives us strength. We can be content whether we have plenty or don't have much, Lord God. We can be content, God, in the situation that we're in. We thank you this morning that the Apostle Paul was in a dungeon in his own feces writing letters. And the letter he wrote to the, to the church at Philippi was about joy. God, I pray today that during this Christmas season that we would pause and begin to be thankful for all that we do have. And the greatest thing we have is you, Jesus. Lord, 
this morning, before I pray for each individual in here, I, I just want to say thank you for rescuing us. Jesus, you have brought such joy and hope to my life. And without you, Lord, I don't know how I would live one day. We want to pause and say thank you for 2,000 years ago coming, O come Emmanuel, that you have come to earth to save and rescue the sinner like me, God. Now today we ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with contentment. Help us over the next week begin to see the ducks that we do have. Help us over the next week, Lord, to begin to be grateful for all the things that's in our life, God. Not the one or two things that we don't like. And let's not focus on negative, but may we focus on the good and positive things that you're doing. May we focus on the good and positive things that you're bringing about. May we begin to see with your eyes, God, how awesome things really are, Lord. Even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of of lack, that Lord we can be content because we know that you're in it, Lord. Today we ask in this place that you would fill our hearts with contentment, Lord Jesus. And not just contentment, but just with you that brings contentment. Through Christ we can do this. We can be content in all things. Father, today I ask every person that raised their hand would experience your presence right now. I pray that their Monday would be different than any other Monday before. They begin to text people and call people and tell them how thankful they are. God, if there's a, a, a couple in here that, that they're going through a, a serious situation, that they would pause and begin to, to see how grateful and how thankful they are that you, that you brought them together and stop letting the enemy have glory. I pray, Lord, there's somebody here, God, that, that, that hates their job, that, Lord, they would look at it from your eyes, that you give the power to get wealth, that you are the one that places us, and they would begin to be grateful for that job that you've given them, Lord. Today, Lord, we ask for the gift of contentment in our life and all the struggles we face, God. Give us that, Lord Jesus. Give us that, Lord Jesus. This time, as the worship team begins to play and sing, why don't you take a second, and I want you to begin to ask the Lord, right where you're at as you worship, for Him to fill your heart with contentment. He's mighty. He can do it. Ask Him right now, church. Let's worship Jesus.